Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Sherry Versluis will join us from the Preferred Perch. New bird numbers are down. We'll talk about it with Sherry. Dugald Lamont, Manitoba's Liberal leader, will join us. And we're also going to talk to Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. That is a great uh, pick for a song there because we are going to talk about birds. Uh, actually, I had uh, Sherry Versluice from the Preferred Perch for 10 or 12 minutes from now, but I guess she was listening and heard me tear up, and that's fine. No problem, uh, Sherry. I'll get you on now. I can move stuff around. How are you? I am good, and you? I am excellent. Thanks a lot for uh, for agreeing to do this uh, today. The uh, Nature Conservancy of Canada came out with some uh, numbers today, and I'll just share a few with you on birds, and then we can have sort of our, our normal conversation, but I'll get you to weigh in on, on some of these numbers uh, from this organization. Bird species dependent on native grasslands have decreased by 87%. Our grasslands have lost an estimated 300 million birds since 1970. Migratory shorebirds decreased by 40%. Long-distance migratory shorebirds have declined by 55%. Grassland birds down 57%. Aerial um, insectivore birds down 59%. This isn't surprising. It's shocking and it's sad, but it's not surprising, is it? It definitely is not to people like myself who, who are bird watchers or who feed the birds. I mean, we've been every year seeing worse and worse how low the numbers are when birds are arriving for spring migration. It re- This year in particular, I have to say, it's probably one of the years I've had the most feedback from people who are really, truly saying, like, what is going on out there? So it's it's very sad because all of the reasons these birds are declining are all human-caused. So they are all very correctable, but it's just, you know, it's a big deal to get this all fixed. So the biggest causes, of course, are free-roaming cats. Free-roaming cats are responsible for killing up to 3 million birds a day in Canada. Uh, window collisions, which is a big, big problem during migration time. You know, some people experience numerous birds hitting their windows and dying every day. But again, that's in the millions per day. And the other thing, of course, is chemicals of all kinds, whether it's lawn chemicals or agricultural chemicals. So they're all things that are human-caused and are correctable, but it's just to get that education out there on how people can help in reducing these numbers. And so, and so, what is some uh, good advice then on on uh, some simple, basic things we can do to try and help our our friends, the birds? Well, of course, with cats, you know, I love all animals, including cats, and this is a very hot topic because a lot of cat owners have the belief that cats are meant to roam and need to roam, but cats are not an indigenous species here. They should not be roaming, and they are having a huge negative impact on wildlife. And that goes on throughout the world. I mean, New Zealand right now is currently culling all cats. There will no longer be cats allowed there because 
of the impact they have had on their bird population. And it, it's very widespread. And cats here were introduced as a domesticated pet, and they should be kept in your yard or in your home. So that one is actually very simple. Window collisions are also very simple. There's many products available that you can adhere to the exterior of your window. And there's even new windows that are being produced that do not have that mirrored-like reflection on them. So they have more of a matte finish, and that way the birds are not seeing the reflection so they won't crash. In respect to chemicals, this is a tough one because we obviously need our farmers. We need agriculture. There's no question about that. But it is the choices that that's got to be addressed. And the biggest thing is Roundup, which contains the ingredient glyphosate. And that is really in the news these days being, you know, finally, it's coming to light finally how damaging that stuff is to people in our food as well as to wildlife. So that definitely has to be looked at, you know, as a, to find a safer alternative for people and for wildlife. And lawn chemicals are another thing. We're finding a lot of ground feeding birds. So birds like American robins or grackles or juncos, any of these a lot of time on the lawns are starting to have really excessive rates of partial albinism. And this is all directly linked to DNA damage from this exposure to chemicals because when they're walking through our lawns, they preen themselves after and ingest it and, you know, it's affecting them greatly. So, again, choosing wisely what you'd use on your lawn. And, and, you know, I'm glad a lot of people are getting rid of their lawns and growing wildflowers now for the bees and the butterflies. So that's kind of the things people can look at to help. Yeah, I, I will say this, you know, compared to when I was a kid, there just are not the same numbers of birds out there. Like, just think about it. I'm in my mid-50s. If you just think back to when you were a kid, robins everywhere, spare, I mean, tons of birds. And now we do not see those numbers anymore, do we? No, in fact, it's it's quite disturbing how people are excited to see a robin these days. I mean, their numbers have just plummeted. And another problem that's happening in the city is a lot of birds of prey have moved into the city. One of the worst is uh, a bird called a merlin. It's a type of falcon. And Cooper's hawks, they've really taken the nesting in the city in massive numbers these days and that their diet is all of these songbirds that are on decline so this is another they are natural predators but everything is so out of balance that they're nesting more in suburban areas now where a lot of these songbirds are residing and and they're just had i have a customer who had a purple martin house which i know you've got as well Hal. yep i'm gonna ask you about them in a minute yep Okay, well, a couple of seasons ago, she lost over 50 Purple Martins to a Merlin that was hanging around her neighborhood. So she she has since removed her house because she, you know, she felt like she was setting them up for death. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I've got yes. three Purple Martin houses, and you know what? Every year they come later and later and later. And you know what, Sherry? I have not seen one yet this year. I usually get Ooh. a couple, but I have not seen a single one, and I have three houses. Oh, that's very disturbing. They were very late this year, later than I ever have had on record since I've owned the store. Um, this spring was just dreadful for weather, as we all recall. And further uh, south of us, it was just terrible. So there definitely was a big kill-off this spring, I'm sure, during migration, especially for aerial insectivores, because when the weather is that bad, there's not many insects to eat. So a lot of them probably just literally ran out of gas on the way here. And aerial insectivores uh, in that report, you mentioned how much they're declining. And 
part of that, again, is the agricultural chemicals that are killing all the insects that these birds would eat. And again, that's how things are so out of balance, because in the past, the bird populations were high enough that they were nature's insect control. Now they've plummeted so much that, you know, we are reliant on all of these very toxic chemicals. So it really is such a it's such a messy situation, but it can be fixed. It's just these efforts have to be made to get this all figured out. I should have mentioned this at the start of our conversation, but the preferred perch, which is Sherry's store, is at 1604 St. Mary's Road. I drive by it every day, twice at least, and uh, <laughs> I know that you had a sign up there for a while saying, you know, if the birds are hitting your window, we have the solution, and you mentioned that. So you got some of those products there and great feed, because the, the bird seed, because that matters too. we got to make sure we're giving them the right stuff, and, and so it's a great store. I mentioned too, you've got crystals and raw and all kinds of really cool stuff and birdhouses. You really do have a, a, a great store there. I got a couple of text messages from listeners. Let me just ask you uh, about this because there's a couple of questions here. Sure. Uh, listener says, Hal, uh, we're not supposed to feed the birds in the summer, only in the winter. They find their own food in the, sum t- in the summer. Sometimes the seeds we feed them could be contaminated. What do you say to that, Sherry? Okay, so yeah, the feeding birds in summer thing, absolutely there is natural food. So for example, a lot of people do still feed in summer because we get many new species like the American goldfinches, which are very popular, So there's and orioles. So there's a lot of birds that come in summer that people want to enjoy. But right now, for example, the canker worms are out of control in certain areas and there are no birds at our feeders right now because they are eating natural food. So putting out a bird feeder does not mean a bird is going to be reliant on feeders. And that is so proven that when there's more plentiful natural food, that's where they are. And I can tell you right now that that's all we're hearing from people is how dead their feeders are. And that's because the insects are plentiful. So, so that's definitely not going to hinder their, their life at all. And regarding contaminated seed, that is one of my biggest beefs with the wild bird industry because there is no regulations on what can be sold for wildlife. So there are some very toxic things being sold out there. Hummingbird nectar is probably one of the biggest things, but all of the seed that is rejected for all consumptions for anything else. So for pets, people, seed that has got mold or contaminated in some way is allowed to be packaged and sold for wildlife. And these things are often sold at the big box department stores and, and, you know, they're very cheap, inexpensive foods, but those are the ones that are very contaminated and even can be toxic to people with the mold in the bags. Yeah, and I'll say this, that, that Sherry uh, at Preferred Perch, I don't want this to be a big commercial, but you do it right, Sherry, so it's important to say this stuff. You do all that research so that when you go there, you can answer people's questions, you can give them the right seed for the birds they're trying to attract or, or the birds they have and make sure that they get fed, and you do the homework as well on the seed, knowing when people go to your store, they know they're getting the right seed, they're, they don't have to worry about contamination. That's right. Most of the seed I carry is actually human grade. It's We sell human grade peanuts, human grade sunflowers. So these are stuff that's healthy enough for you and I to eat as well. Excellent. couple quick questions from listeners. I just got this one. Please ask Sherry Hal what the best hummingbird food mix is. Yes. Making your own hummingbird food is the way to do it. I do not recommend buying anything off the shelf. All of it contains either preservatives or dyes and it's all very harmful. 
So four cups of water to one cup of sugar. I use organic sugar personally. And you just bring the water to a boil as soon as the boil off, pour the sugar in and stir it till it dissolves and you're good to go. Oh, you kind of cut out there. So it's four cups of water, one cup of sugar, and then what do you do with it? You bring the water to a boil and as soon as it's come to a boil, turn the, turn the element off, add the sugar and stir it till it's dissolved. Okay, excellent. And one more here from Jacob, 204-780-6868. Hal, when you have Sherry on, please ask her about the eastern bluebird. We've always had them nesting in our birdhouses in the past, but this year we haven't seen one. Yes, that is another bird where, again, we're seeing very, very, very terrible numbers with them. And, and unfortunately, one of their big problems beside climate change for them, because weather is also a big problem, uh, as I talked about migration with the weather impacting birds. But bluebirds, unfortunately, one of their biggest predators are house sparrows. House sparrows are not a native bird here. They are an introduced species, and I've always referred to them as the backyard bird mafia because they are very aggressive and work together to control areas and dominate but they will take over bluebird houses and they've even been known to go in and kill chicks break eggs kill the mother so they're for people who have bluebird houses that's something they're constantly monitoring is trying to keep away the house sparrows Ruben just texted me. He says, Hal, I put up another purple, purple Martin house this year, and both of my houses are full. So there you go. Uh, there are uh, Purple Martins out there. And Kristen, I think, is asking about corn for ducks and no bread for geese, right? And, and what, what can we feed the geese at, say, St. Vitale Park? Yes, you definitely want to get some cracked corn or a wild bird mix even. Again, not from these department stores because they're going to have some contamination. But yeah. Feeding bread, people don't understand how much that damages all birds. And I know they eat it, so people think, oh, they, they love it, though. But they're not like us where we can eat a burger and later be like, oh, my gosh, I should not have eaten that. They, <laughs> yeah. they can't identify that. Right. But what they end up getting is super nutritionally deficient, and they end up growing in feathers improper to the point where they hold their wings in a very odd fashion where it's called angel wing syndrome. And it's because their wings hurt so much from the feathers growing in so incorrectly from nutritional deficiencies that they can't even fly. And they hold their wings almost, it looks like an angel wing. That's how it got its name. So it's very, very unhealthy for them. Huh. And the final question here, uh, Sherry, I see a lot of crows. That's one bird that I see lots of. Yes. They are survivors. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there isn't, you know, West Nile had a huge impact on them years ago, but they've definitely come back. In fact, some scientists are believing they've even possibly developed a bit of an immunity to that now. And uh, that's what's interesting about nature. You know what, even if we destroy this earth, it will all come back. It's just whether we can survive with it. You know, the birds and the bees, they are responsible for our food and the health of our whole environment. So it really is something... I'm even encouraging people during this upcoming election. It is something you need to mention to these people when they're looking for your vote. It's time to really start paying attention to this. And I lied. One more question. This just came in from a listener. Hal, please ask uh, Sherry how to keep red-breasted blackbirds off my feeders. Or red-winged blackbird is what she must mean. Yeah. Yeah, red-winged blackbirds can be quite aggressive. And there's really no food I can suggest or anything like that that would keep them off. But there are cages that that we provide that would go over top of your feeder so mm. the red-winged blackbirds cannot get in but all the little chickadees and finches can excellent sherry this has been great thanks a lot we'll do it again really appreciate your help 
Thank you, too, Hal. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Sherry Versluis, you can find her store, The Preferred Perch, at 1604 St. Mary's Road. She knows her stuff. So we found out yesterday from Premier Brian Pallister that Manitobans will go to the polls September 10th. And already the policy announcements have started. Joining us on the phone now, Manitoba Liberal Leader Dugald Lamont. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Well, the campaign is kind of underway, and you announced your justice policy today. Tell us some details. Yeah, well, it's a chunk of it anyway, but uh, it's a. there are a couple of things. One is... Uh, the, the, the smaller things, there have been a lot of cuts to municipalities from the province lately. So we said, look, we need to fund police properly, uh, whether it's in the city of Winnipeg or elsewhere. So part of it is we would share 25 percent of cannabis revenue with, uh, with with municipalities to make sure that they can pay for police. The other is to make sure police can focus on criminals. So we'd have a triage to make sure that people with mental health and, uh, and, and addictions crises are treated you know, in the health system. But the really big one uh, is we would, we're proposing creating a Manitoba police service, uh, a province-wide uh, police service that would essentially take over what the RCMP are doing in rural and, and, and northern Manitoba, uh, because the RCMP are basically on contract. They're being contracted out to, to, to provide local police services. And uh, as, there have been a lot of cuts there, too. So there are too many areas that are underserviced, and, and rural and northern Manitoba actually we know we've got some crime problems in, in Winnipeg, but it's, 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 it's worse in rural and uh, northern Manitoba. And we think the answer to that is to, is to have a Manitoba police force, a Manitoba police service that uh, can provide community policing across the province. Uh, we'd work with First Nations and municipalities to set it up in the first year of our mandate. And uh, the idea is, is just to make, it, uh, to make Manitoba safer. Uh, because, you know, for too long, uh, we've had really high levels of, of crime and violence. And some of it is just because there haven't been police on the ground. And so we wanted to build something together that works for everyone. It's interesting that you say crime is worse outside the perimeter than inside the perimeter. We've been talking a lot the past couple of days about crime in Winnipeg, public safety, the meth crisis. What would yep. you do in the city to try and make things better when it comes to crime? Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, one is that uh, one is funding is increasing funding, especially for police uh, with the city of Winnipeg. So that's part of what we would talked about. Um, well, there are a couple of things, but that's one of them is 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 that because the the, the Pallister government has cut funding to the city of Winnipeg, that directly affects the police budget. I mean, the police budget is one of the biggest lines. So we're we have fewer people. We have actually have fewer police officers uh, working on the street. So. Some of it is just directing more funds from cannabis revenue. Uh, I don't. There, there should be many millions of dollars available. I don't know how the, the government managed to sell drugs and not make money, but uh, they they claim that's what they're doing. Uh, but one is is increased funding, especially for for policing. The other is reducing the 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 workload that police have uh, dealing with addictions and, and mental health. Um, but the other is actually a Manitoba police service would be able to help because it would have special units. We would have an, an anti-gang unit, an anti-drug unit, um, and it would be able to uh, work, do some of the work the RCMP are doing to actually reduce the flow of illicit drugs into our province. I mean, we have, we have drugs like meth. It's not being made here. It's coming over the border. And that's something where a Manitoba police force, a Manitoba police service can make a difference. In, in catching people and disturbing, basically breaking up the, the supply chain 
uh, of drugs and gangs uh, so that we're not uh, so we're actually reducing the amount of drugs flowing into the city. Dugald, certainly crime is one of the top issues, but I think the big issue most people would agree is health care. What would you do on that front? Uh, well, we're going to be we're going to be unrolling that as well. Uh, but I mean, partly we we have a that's I mean it's for future announcements, but it's really important to us to have uh, make sure that people can access health care where they near close to where they live. So we actually do have a plan uh, that we're going to be rolling out uh, to make sure that we can keep ERs open. And some of it, I'll just say, one of the biggest things we can do is invest in, uh, in getting ahead of problems. Uh, with things like we have one of some of the highest rates of diabetes in, in Canada. So uh, we have a big anti-diabetes uh, program um, because that leads to heart disease, stroke, amputations, blindness, all sorts of other things. So if we can get do a really good job of reducing diabetes, that's going to be one of the major things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, that's one of the things that you can do. Just make, make sure we can make people healthier so they don't actually have to go for health care at all. Uh, and that's the, that's the ideal. Um, that's one of the things we're going to do. But the other is just making sure that people can get access to the doctors and to access to care when they need it. And that's something that's been, you know, there's been a lot of chaos in the healthcare system. Uh, but, and, and we have to, and part of that is just make sure there's good local care. So people don't have to travel across the entire province or across the city to, uh, you know, for a doctor's appointment. There's been a lot of speculation why Premier Pallister is going to Manitobans over a year ahead of time. Why do you think that's happening? Why the election in September? Well, he's, he's come up with about five different reasons. Um, one was Manitoba 150, which nobody believed. Uh, now he says he has such bold ideas that they couldn't wait for a year. Now, I don't know why, again, he, had a, he has a, a majority. But I think he, he was... This is what he said. He actually let uh, he, he let it slip. He said, "You know, I've been in sports too long, uh, and I won't give up any minor advantage." I just think he thinks that uh, he's got more money and more candidates, and so he doesn't really care about whether elections are free or fair, or that we have a fixed state election law, uh, which is you know that's not the way that's not the way elections are supposed to work. It's not supposed to be the way a democracy works. Ultimately, is because uh, Brian Pallister thinks it's good for him. And if it's good for him, he does it, uh, whether it's good for Manitoba or not. And that's not the way we think. Our focus is on what's good for Manitobans. How are you on the candidate front? Will you have liberals running in every riding? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got, we nominated, uh, we're close to a dozen. But part of it is, look, we have a, we have a, a green light process and vetting people. We're, we're, so we're actually approved a whole bunch of more people and we're going to be having a whole bunch more nominations next week. Um, yeah, and we have some really excellent people uh, who are sort of uh, approaching us to see if they want to, uh, if they can run. So we're uh, really excited about uh, some upcoming uh, announcements. Are you hoping for a breakthrough election for your Liberals? Uh, I always hope. Look, uh, I think there's a huge opportunity here just because I don't think, I think the NDP, people still haven't forgiven them. Um, and I think that I don't think that people really want to see another four years of cuts to healthcare, education, and infrastructure. And we really do want to provide a, a different kind of option. And, and because it doesn't have to just be a choice between the NDP and the PCs, but it's our job to prove it to Manitobans. Look, people are skeptical and they're right to be skeptical. And a lot of people have lost faith in politicians. And it's our job to try to rebuild that trust. Um, and, and But I recognize that that's. That's our job, and we just have to prove ourselves to Manitobans, uh, you know, one person at a time. And do you think what's happened federally has hurt the Liberal brand here in Manitoba? Do you worry about that? 
Uh, I don't worry about it. I mean, I know ultimately we're our own party. Like I always tell people, you know, people think uh, that we're the same party, but we really, we are not. We're not Tim Hortons franchise, right? We've got different stuff on the menu. And ultimately, you know, Justin Trudeau didn't hire me and he can't fire me. Uh, we're independent. We'll stand up for Manitoba when it matters. And the entire point of running for me to run for leader of the Manitoba Liberal Party was to, to, to change it and to make it a different kind of party than it's been. And that means being different from the PCs, the NDP, and the federal Liberals. Uh, we, we have to put Manitoba first, and that's our priority. Good luck on September 10th, and thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Manitoba Liberal Leader Dougal Lamont. Just after 2.30, so that means Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling, conexuscounseling.ca. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hey, Hal. How are you? We were just chatting. Interesting conversation. we got lots to talk about here, but just quickly, let's talk about this because the weather's beautiful out uh, there today, and I'm debating, you know, is the weather going to be nice enough to go to the lake? Talk about being outside because it's good for us, right? It is so good for us, and I think it's good for us. Sometimes we forget how good it is for us to go past the perimeter um, away from the city into nature and to spend time. There's something that happens to a person when they sit by the water and just look out at a space where you can't see the other side or you can hardly see the other side and you see the rocks and the trees and all the nature. And the research is starting to be very concrete to say, actually, your blood pressure drops. You are healthier. It is restoring. It actually is like measurably good for your mental health. Yeah. Sometimes we get so caught up and summer, goodness knows, it flies by because it doesn't last long around here. It's wonderful. Yeah. But if you blink, you know, be careful uh, that it's really important for us to take every opportunity we can to find ways of leaving all the buildings and the concrete and finding ways to be amongst the green and the yeah. blues of nature. Yeah. And even if you don't have a cottage or you can't get to the lake, I mean, even a lawn chair in the backyard with your cup of tea, right? Absolutely, yes. Fine, And, you know, we have some of the most beautiful parks here, right? Mm. Um, and you can kind of forget that you're in the middle of the city when you go to some of those parks. You can go for a long walk yeah. um, just in nature. And so I think we need to find ways of just using this time and exploiting the green that now that we've got it, because uh, in a few months yeah. it's not going to be here. Let's yeah. enjoy it while we can. We were talking to Sherry Versluce uh, from the Preferred Perch earlier, and the bird numbers are way down, and so that's obviously concerning. But that's one of my favorite things to do, you know, is to sit by the bird feeder, have a coffee or, or a wobbly pop, <laughs> and, uh, and watch the birds, right? And the different birds or the animals and all the chipmunks at that again. And, you know, it's a, there's something about nature, including animals, especially. I got a bird feeder for my birthday um, and uh, I put it in the backyard where I can see it outside my window, right? Because Mm -hmm. let's do whatever we can to enhance nature and enjoy it for sure. Yes. Yeah. Pain. We want to talk a little bit about pain here and offloading pain. I'll let you get into this because this is kind of your idea, but pain is a, boy, it can be a damaging thing in many ways. Right. And often we don't recognize that something is causing us pain. And before we even realize that we're in pain, we're offloading it. Um, Richard Rohr, who's a writer, he says, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly um, transmit it. Um, and often we do we transmit it to those closest to us. To our, other people, yeah. Our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, and maybe even your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reminded about that this morning where I had coffee with a friend, and she was telling me about how she had a lunch date yesterday, and she was scrambling to get there on time, and she actually got there a little bit early, and she's sitting there, you know, at quarter to one, waiting for her one o'clock lunch appointment, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, shoot, it was at 12. I missed it. And it was a friend that she was important to visit with. This yeah. friend has been ill and, you know, would have traveled a long way with some difficulty to be there. Mm. And she felt so 
her first instinct was to push away how uncomfortable she felt where she was letting a friend down that she sort of like, I'm really angry at my friend for like the, somehow this is how dare she yeah, show up on time. <laughs> right. And she couldn't even couldn't even figure out what it was. But her first instinct that she noticed that bubbled up was yeah. I got to blame somebody else because yeah. I don't want this to be my fault mm-hmm. because to have it be your fault means that she made a mistake. And so yeah. often we jump from I made a mistake to I am a mistake and that's intolerable. Yeah. And so rather than, you know, her first instinct was to avoid that pain and just kind of offload it with pain onto other people. Mm-hmm. And I think so often when you see people yelling at the, you know, the kids' baseball umpires. It's not about that. And there's sometimes just kids that are umping, right? Yeah. They're doing the best they can and absolutely they're making mistakes, but not intentionally, right? Yeah. And some of the parents can get so mad and it's not about the kid making a mistake, right? Like it's about something that's underneath that is simmering and all mm-hmm. of a sudden when it has a chance to burst out, it explodes in a way that even doesn't represent you well. Like you feel yeah. bad about it later, right? right? And then it's really hard to admit that you want to offload on how it was somebody else's fault that you exploded the way you mm-hmm. did. And I think we, this world would be a different place. And even as we're heading into provincial election of saying, what is it that I can explore about my position and how can I hear the other person and not just throw mud at everything anybody else says? How yeah. can I feel my discomfort and really be contemplative, look at what's going on inside of me and respond in a way that's thoughtful and actually helps the situation rather than just pushes the crap mm-hmm. onto other people. Now, all of that, way easier said than done. Way easier said how than do done. We, how do we deal with it in the moment? Do we take a deep breath before we open our mouth? Or what's the way to, because pain can come in many different forms. And you're right, we usually do lash out at the people that we care about the most. Right. And that are closest to us, both physically close at the moment and, you know, the ones we care about. So how do we combat that? How do we try and prevent that sort of lashing out, offloading of pain on other people? Well, often when you're offloading that pain, it becomes out of that flight, fright or freeze thing that happens in our brain. And that happens when the back part of our brain is saying, do whatever you can to protect yourself and we'll take care of any damage later. Like this is mm-hmm. just about survival. And so that's not the best part of our brain that's doing the thinking, right? If we were calm and really contemplative, we would be able to make better choices. And so the people that I watch that do the best at this are the people that say, I'm triggered right now. I probably should be curious about this, but I'm too upset to be curious. I'm going to filter and I'm not going to tap. I'm not going to text. I'm not going to type. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to do anything that could create that could be that offloading, right? I'm going to protect other people from myself for a time being until I can calm down. I can get curious about this, do some thinking about it, talk to a friend who I, who trusts, who I trust and cares about me. And then I can come back with a response that's more thoughtful. Um, because, and, and so if, if sometimes in the moment, no response is better than a bad response. And many of us can't come up with a good response in the moment, right? Yeah. And I think we just, we have to recognize that we can save ourselves from apologizing if we just find a way to edit ourselves to know at this moment, I can't trust myself to speak. Let me figure this out and come back with something that is more representative of the best part of me later. Yeah. Because you do instantly usually regret it, right? You go, instantly. oh, why did I do that? So, now I've made it worse. It was bad. Now I'm Made it worse. Sometimes you watch it coming out of your mouth and yes. you cannot stop it and you just sort of watch this thing happen like you're a movie character and it's awful. Um, and I think if we can just find a way to protect other people and protect ourselves from whatever's going to come out in that yeah. bad moment, because people are doing the best they can, but at that moment, your best is just not very good. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, sometimes in relationships when you have arguments or you fight or you disagree, 
one person will often walk away and the other person goes, there you go, walking away again. But that may be, who knows, that may be their way of going, I need to go over here, figure this out, calm down. Not always, but it can be, right? Well, in therapy, we we talk, there's a difference between walking away and what we would call a scheduled timeout. Mm. Um, and a scheduled timeout says, I'm not at a place where I can represent myself well. And if we stay in this conversation, I could get mean in a way that is not good for either of and us. And so do you say that to the other so, person so they so understand often, what it is? So what we do in, in couple therapy often is we talk about the scheduled timeout and we even sort of talk about a safe word, right? Like, And so there's this recognition of, I need to take my space. And there's a there's an understanding that it's going to be at least 20 minutes. For hmm. some people, it's actually overnight, but physiologically, it takes at least 20 minutes. And for guys, it's often longer because their anger response is fueled by testosterone at a level that's higher than for females. That so women are often ready to re-engage before their husbands are. Yeah. Um, and if we can have people understand, I'm going to use this code word to get out of dodge quick before something bad happens. But I will come back. And often the coming back is really hard, but the coming back closes the loop. And once a person sees you walking away, Mm -hmm. it's really hard. But if they know from experience that you are going to come back, they can tolerate the discomfort of watching you turn away, knowing that you are trying to protect everybody from a you know, what could be ugly. And then you come back. And so you have to have that conversation when you're calm. You can't do that in the moment. Mm. You let people know and you say, there's a hand gesture or a word that says, I got to get out of here, not because I don't care about you, but because I care enough about you not to do what I'm just about to do. Mm. I like that when you sort of let us inside couples therapy and you say, well, actually, here's how we do this, which is sort of interesting. Something else I wanted to ask you about, it Mm -hmm. made me think of it while you were talking. What about if you write your thoughts down? Sometimes you know, when we're trying to make our point or or we're discussing something, it's some people have a hard time putting it into words and doing it properly. Is there value in writing it down and getting it right, or is that a mistake? Well, um, I use the work of Dr. Brene Brown, and one of the things she talks about is the way from our head to our heart is through our hands. And so creative writing out what you're feeling and figuring it out and sorting it out and coming up with a, the, just the right words to represent yourself is often a really good way of doing mm. things. The danger with tap with writing is that people think, oh, we're going to have this fight via text, right. right? Because then we're going to be cool and calm and we're going to be able to form our words thoughtfully. Yeah. But what you don't have in text is tone. And so sometimes you can say things and you mean it well and the other person takes it the wrong way. And so when, again, in couples therapy, if people feel like they're best in written word, then often what I try to have people do is write it down and then say, I wanted to give this to you. Um, can I read it to you? Or they let the other person read it out loud. And then if they don't say it, like if they, they the other, if your partner reads it in a, in a tone, that's not how you thought about it in <laughs> yeah, your head, right. you can say, well, actually when I wrote Here's it, what I meant. this is what, yeah. this is what it sounded like yeah. in my head. Um, and so then it just comes out a bit gentler, but I think writing is a great way to slow it down and mm-hmm. to sort of be a good friend to yourself to figure out what am I really thinking and feeling and how do I really mm-hmm. want to represent myself well? Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.